Angel gets his wings. Welcome back to the Charlotte Angel Connection. One of the great things about hosting this podcast is the ability to sit down and talk with the founders about how the business has evolved. Today we sit down and we talk with Heather McCullough, who is the co-founder of Society 54, which serves the legal profession. And we explore how they started from working within the legal profession to creating a service business and now a scalable software that, that targets the legal profession. Wonderful podcast. And we wrap it up with a Georgia Bulldog call, which is a fantastic way to start the college football season. Heather, welcome to the podcast. Really excited to have you here today. It's going to be an awesome conversation. Thanks so much, William. Glad to be here. Yeah. Society 54 is your company, right? So that's what we're here to talk about for the next 45 to 55 minutes. Give us a little a little blurb on it, right? So what it, what is Society 54? What do y'all do? So Society 54 started out as a consulting company. We are focused on the legal industry, and we really have three areas that we focus on. The first being training and coaching. So the the sort of bread and butter of what we do, training and coaching for business development and marketing. The second thing is we have a talent arm. So we have fractional talent to step in and help out, help out when needs arise. And then lastly is our technology arm where we have built a project management and business development tracking system for both attorneys as well as marketing and business development professionals within the legal industry. Awesome. So I told my wife I had a podcast this morning. She's like, oh, okay, what what do they do? I said, you know, it's a company called Society 54. They work with lawyers. And her response was, does she, does she teach them not to be a-holes? <laughs> so, um, partially, yes. Yeah, yeah, partially. <laughs> That's awesome. Anyway, so let's talk about Heather for a few minutes. Then we'll, uh, let's dive into um, Society 54. I'm going to throw a phrase out at you, and I'm going to see if you can finish it for me. Are you ready? Let's go. It's great to be. A Georgia Bulldog. There you go. Nice. All right. Test passed. So you went to Georgia? You're from Georgia as well? I grew up in a small town in sort of Midwest Georgia called LaGrange. Very proud to be from that area, um, about an hour and a half half south of Atlanta, right on the Alabama-Georgia border. And uh, my dad is a massive football, college football fan. And so I grew up watching all the SEC games that are forever being played. And um, when it came time to look at schools, it was between Clemson and Georgia. And to be honest, at the time, um, Georgia was offering the Hope Scholarship and I could go to school for absolutely free. And that was a pretty nice proposition. So went, went to school and my dad always says, when you go to orientation and they have you bark for the first time, that's when you're sold. And I'll have to agree. Um, I I got into it. Uh, I still am very proud of my bark, and uh, I'm happy to have spent many years in Athens. I hear you. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll end the podcast today with the um, the Heather Georgia Bulldog bark. <laughs> we, we you don't know what you're asking for, William, but sure, let's do it. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. So anyway, so you went to Georgia. Life brings you like how do how do we end up in Charlotte, right? So talk about um some of the little your winding path and then let's kind of dig into how Society 54 came out of that. Yeah. So um come to graduation day and I had done very little planning on next steps. I um uh, I'm not entirely a planner. My business partner, Jill Hughes, will tell you she is she is more of the planner for most things. And so 
come to graduation day and uh, one of my professors pulled me aside and said, I have an opportunity in Charlotte, North Carolina. Have you ever been there? Nope. Um, interested in going? Sure. Uh, I'll go for an interview. And so I uh, headed this direction um, pretty soon, probably the week after graduation and had an interview, got a job in a small company um, based in Huntersville and um, did that for about a year and then had an opportunity at a law firm. Uh, had met a woman who is still in the legal industry and she said, you know, we need someone to come join our marketing team. Um, do you have any interest? And I did. It was an opportunity to one, not be driving back and forth to Huntersville. I lived in uh, Dilworth and <laughs> pretty close to downtown Charlotte. And uh, two, it was an opportunity to be with a larger organization. And I was excited about that. So um, that I, I started that job. I spent about six years at that law firm, um, moved to my second law firm, spent about eight years there, uh, all within the marketing and business development side of the law firms and ended up directing a team of 10 people at the last law firm that I was with. And then along the way, met my business partner, Jill Hughes, who was at a different law firm leading their marketing and business development efforts. And she and I started talking about next steps and what that looked like and what we loved doing in our everyday jobs and what we didn't love doing and how we could carve out a company that allowed us to really focus on the things that we enjoyed and do less of the things that we didn't enjoy so much. And so that was when Society 54 was born, right around so, 2015. So let's stop there for a second. Lawyers and marketing don't, I mean, it's not like peanut butter and jelly, right? It's not like, you know, um, uh, any other thing that you can put together that goes together really well. Talk about lawyer marketing uh, I guess realistically, if we put on that hat, we think about it. I mean, we were probably talking, you know, 15 to 20 years ago, right? So, I mean, that had to be, if it's like, if it's not peanut butter and jelly today, it sure as hell wasn't peanut, peanut butter and jelly back in 1999 or 2000 either, right? So, incredibly true. And we always, we always talk about this because, um, we belong to an organization called Legal Marketing Association. It's now worldwide, but it started in the US back in the late 80s. So, I mean, fairly young organization as a whole, because to your point, um, lawyers didn't go to school to market. And, uh, you know, for a lot of these large corporate law firms that are marketing to large corporations, um, it's always been a relationship business, right? You know, I know you, William, you and I, we run in the same circles. And so when you and your team at ABC Corporation need an attorney, you think of me because, you know, we've, right, we've been together and we know each other and you know what I do generally. Well, you know, as with anything, the competition just started increasing more and more. And we can look at downtown Charlotte 20 years ago, the law firms that were, you know, sort of local, locally grown and homegrown in the Carolinas um, are now international firms that, you know, sit in or at least originated in different markets outside of Charlotte. And so there has to be a way to let people know what you do to be able to um, really drill down why a company might need your services. And so with that in mind, there is an uphill battle because again, lawyers are very busy and they look at the billable hour. And so any of these non-billable tasks of, you know, 
meeting with prospective clients, thinking about writing thought leadership uh, pieces, uh, attending networking type events, any of this takes away from that billable time. And so it's a little bit of an uphill struggle to get people to really engage in what it was or what it is that the marketing and BD teams within law firms do. That said, um, I think that the profession has grown, and meaning the profession of, of marketing within law firms has grown significantly and gotten more complex in the ways that folks are working within law firms is people are being seen more as a resource and a partner in those efforts versus just sort of a back office function that, you know, everybody else has one. So we have to have one too. Looking at your website, by the way, I love your website. So <laughs> I don't know who likes the rubber, rubber duckies, but they're, um, they're, they're a cool feature on the website. Um, I encourage everybody to check out their website. It's very, you know, it's a marketing based website, right? I mean, it's a very well done professional website, but on there, when you click on, you know, some of the, the folks on there, primarily, you know, you and, um, and Jill, <clears throat> both of y'all have gone through the, um, university of Pennsylvania, um, Wharton school of gamification, right. Which I thought was interesting. And so how, how do you use gamification in the business today? And then we're going to take that and we're going to go backwards to kind of where the business started from. But I want people to know like the tech and things that y'all have into it today before we go back and build up from the beginning. Yeah. So kind of going back to the motivation piece. So if you're not billing time, then something seems like it, you know, it certainly gets put on the back burner, um, at least in the eyes of the, the folks that we work with most often. And so early on, Jill and I were trying to think of ways that we had increased engagement when we were in law firms. How did we get people to want to interact with what we were doing? And one of those things was gamifying something, you know, making it how many people, you know, who had the most um, views on their web bio last month? And you know, who wrote the most articles or whatever it might be, anything to sort of increase the attention. And then also that motivation piece, um, trying to, you know, just kind of drill into the competition that exists. For some people, it's it's internal. For others, it's I want others to see what I'm doing. And so we went back and got certified in gamification and then built our technology pieces to incorporate gamification because we know that it increases engagement and it is a tremendous tool when working with adults um, to get them to to be a part of whatever it is that you're trying to do. And I'll give you an example. We had a law firm that deployed the attorney side of our technology for all of their attorneys and utilizing the gamification component. And they said, all right, our entire goal with going through this process is to reconnect with dormant clients. Anybody that we have not had a connection with, have not billed, have not had a matter with in the past three to five years. And so there was a little bit of an effort on the back end to figure out who that might be. And then they deployed the product or the technology in order to track what folks were doing, how they were reaching out, you know, how they were getting in front of these particular clients. They had, I think it was a 95% participation rate. And this was a firm of 150-ish attorneys. 95% participation, which is 
astronomical um, because typically people ignore these kinds of things because it's just, again, a non-billable task. It's one more thing to add to your to-do list. But because they knew they were going to be held up against their peers, there was going to be some visible acknowledgement of what they were or were not doing in relation to this. And there were some hard dollars tracked back to this particular effort where the firm was able, able to re-engage with with you know people that already knew them. So these were already warm leads that they had. Um, so that's just an example of how gamification can can help to spur some action and engagement among whatever your population might be. Who knew you took hyper-competitive professionals and you got them to play a game that somebody would try to win, right? <laughs> I mean, who doesn't love a good game? Yeah. So especially when you're super uber competitive, that's right. Um, that's awesome. So, um, but the business, you know, you've got, you know, three arms to it now. You've got a technology stack. You've got all of these different things, but y'all started off kind of as a, almost as fractional CMOs for law firms to, to get that right. Or is that downplaying what y'all were doing or how, what were you doing initially, Heather? Yeah, initially we started out and um, I mentioned earlier that Jill and I wanted to start a company where we were doing the things we loved to do. And so initially we started out some of the fractional work, but mostly the coaching and training. So a lot of going into firms and helping them figure out what their business development efforts looked like and then coaching individuals to follow a plan, build a plan, excuse me, first of all follow the plan and, you know, having some accountability built in there um, along the way. So that was really the heart of what we did initially, because it's what we genuinely love is helping someone get closer to reaching the goals that they've set for themselves. So it's a, so you're marketing to professional service businesses, right? Lawyers, right? They're Correct. professional service, right? My industry is a professional service business. And I know that we're cheap as cheap. Um, I can imagine that CPAs are as well, and I would think that attorneys are too. Um, has it been a hard, has it been tough from that perspective? Are they as cheap as I think they could be, or how is it marketing to to those firms as y'all grow the business? So I wouldn't use the word cheap. I think you and I talked about this earlier. I think it's the you know what value can they derive from going through an effort like this. And so I think it's um, it's a matter of being able to to prove the value that you can bring and the kind of longer term revenue they're going to derive from just focusing just even just a portion of their week, even not even a day, but their week on being really intentional with their efforts. And so when we can go in and begin to show, all right you're moving the needle here. You've been in front of this particular person three times. Let's talk about the conversations you're having. Are you asking for the work? And really that accountability piece and, and getting people to, to really be more intentional with the efforts that they're making around business development. And then being able to show the firm, you know, from, from this effort, you've derived far more value than it costs you to bring us in and help you through this. Now, I won't say that, 100% of the people we've coached have gone on to be the biggest rainmakers in their organizations, but a lot of them have, and we're really proud of that. That's awesome. How big is the company today, Heather? How many people do you have? So we have, as of today, 11 folks okay. that work with us. Yes. That's awesome. So, and it started off just the two of you. 
That's correct. And in, when did you start to develop out the technology aspect of the business, right? So originally it was the two of y'all. Like when, when did you realize, hey, wait a second, we can layer in a, a degree of technology and, um, and start to build? And I would imagine that gives you the ability to scale the business too, right? Absolutely. So pretty early on, we built out the attorney side of our technology system. So that that business development tracking piece, um, because we initially wanted it to complement our coaching. So we were using it as a tool to be able to go in and let's say, William, you and I are working together. I could go in and see the efforts that you've been making so that when we have our one-on-one calls, I can say, well, you're telling me all these things. They're in the system. Let's talk about what next steps look like. Or you're telling me all these things. It's not in the system. Does that mean it didn't happen? Um, or are you just not tracking it? And what does that mean for the future? When I'm not here holding you accountable, you know, what are the pieces going to be? So that was built probably about two years after we started, just because we wanted something. We also wanted something to leave behind for the marketing and BD teams who take over that coaching traditionally when we step out. So, so giving that, them a roadmap was that built, Was that built? So um, when I think built something like that, is that like spreadsheet built or um, did you hire, how did, how did you build out that original tech to go along with it? Right. Yeah. So initially we had someone uh, contracted who helped us build out uh, that particular side of the system. And then fast forward, I think another two years ish and that's when that same person that we had contracted out, we asked them to help us build out the project management tool that um, that we created for marketing and business development teams to help them tell the story of how their teams are really making an impact within the firm. And then over the past two and a half years, we connected with Dualboot, who is also here in Charlotte, and they helped us revamp the system and connect the two. So firms can choose just to have the attorney tracking side, to have the marketing and business development, project management side, or to have both sides and they can talk to one another. How'd y'all go about kind of building out those two systems, right? Like how much of that did you already have in your head versus how much of it was trial and error as you're building? Because you're, um, you're two service professionals, right? Like you're building a great business, you know what you're doing, you have a concept, but I'm thinking of all these other potential entrepreneurs that are out there and they're like, well, wow, they just, they just built a technology stack and they're not technology folks. Right. So like, how did you get there through that process? Like how much trial and error was it? How much did you have mapped out in advance? How much feedback did you get from users? Like talk a little bit about that experience, right? Yeah, I think initially, um, and I'll speak to the uh, the attorney side of the system first. Uh, initially, it was what was in our heads. And we said, what would we have loved to have had when we were working inside a law firm? Um, what is the tool that would have really helped us? And so we built that. And then along the way, to your point, as we've had people use the system, a little bit of it is what it, what are they not adding in here? What is too difficult? What is that barrier to getting them to actually utilize what we're doing because it's time consuming? It seems like just one more thing. So how can we make that simpler? Um, what are the ways that we can streamline some of this? What's annoying about the system? So we had some alerts set up that we heard back time and again, can you please turn off these alerts? 
if they would just do the task, then the alert would be gone. But regardless. Yeah, I've got a good, simple solution. <laughs> Complete the task. It goes away. <laughs> but we'll that, turn it off. points for it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, actually, actually do the work that you set out to do. But regardless, that was, so it was a little bit of, of back and forth. And then on the marketing and business development side, again, a lot of this lived in our heads, but then we went out to friends of ours in the industry and just said, Hey, can we put you on the system and you use it and tell us what we're missing? Again, what's annoying to you? What is good, bad? You know, what do you need, not need? And so we have we have a pretty broad network just because we've been in this industry for so long. And so we have a, a great group of friends who really were, were brutally honest about what they liked or didn't like. And, you know, we're I would say we're probably 85% of the way toward a product that is, we think it's fantastic, but we're always going to be making it better um, based on feedback. But that initial feedback helped us really get over some hurdles that we we likely wouldn't have gotten over if we hadn't um, really been seeking that, that direct feedback and then ready to address the things that we thought really would make the system better. So now that you've got the technology in place and you're building it and continuing to improve and enhance it, right? There's there's more than a couple law firms in Charlotte and there's more than a couple law firms across the country, right? Like how big can you get, Heather, right? Like, I mean, you're at 11 employees now. Does it go to 100? Does it go to two? Like how, and then is it scalable? Like does the coaching have to complement the technology? So talk about kind of the vision for the company as y'all, sit where you are today and and know where you'd like to go over the course of the next three, five, 10 years? Yeah. So you mentioned this earlier and I, it, it's a, it's a great word. I think it's probably one used very often in technology um, circles, which is scale. And we know that the technology can scale without having to have physical bodies, you know, doing. So for example, coaching is very uh, person intensive, right? We have to you, be, uh, you know, present and available and, if it's one-on-one, then that means if I'm, if, you know, if I'm in the middle of coaching you, then, you know, that time is, is gone and there's got, we've got to add. So we know that that is not a proposition that is going to grow us to the point that we want to get to. So the technology is really the area where we can scale um, without having to have those physical bodies available. So as an example, we have a client utilizing the attorney side of the tool right now it's not connected to anything that we're doing on the consulting side of, of our company. It is fully being run by the firm and their attorneys are utilizing the system in order to, we helped the, the marketing and BD team set up their initiatives. You know, what is it that you're hoping to achieve? How can you get there? And then we let them run with it, right? So we, we add in now, I believe that where we're headed is for our technology to be the front face of the firm and for our consulting to help support what we're doing on the technology side. So how can we help you achieve your goals utilizing the, the technology? And then similarly, how can our consulting help you figure out where to go next? And how can we you know, really be thinking along those lines? So as far as number of people, I'm not really sure where we go. We have a tremendous team that we're working with now. Everyone is, they, we all have a background in the legal industry. We've all, you know, sort of paid our dues in this particular world and everyone's excited about what's next. Um, I, I think 
very specifically, we're looking as we build out the tech side of things to perhaps bring on someone that's a little more tech minded, because to your point, Jill and I come from the other side of the equation. And this is a new world for us, um, even though we've been in it for a while. Um, there are a lot of things that that we're, we just don't know. So you mentioned that a couple of minutes ago, which is um, it's kind of it's got to be, I think, what would be a neat moment, right? Like where you want the tech to pull along the consulting side of the business. But for a while, Heather was probably the other side, right? Like the consulting was driving and kind of pulling along the tech aspect of it, right? Like how's the how's the like how cool is it to see the the flip starting to happen, right? Like where people I don't need the consulting. I want the tech. Just give me that, right? Like, so how did that transition um, feel and um, how did it take place? Yeah. So, you know, we were having a conversation with this firm and, you know, and, and to your point, we have been so consulting heavy for, for the past, gosh, eight years. And, you know, and again, the tech was sort of um, booing what we were doing and helping to sort of be behind the scenes um, of what we're doing on the consulting side. And this particular firm that I mentioned earlier, they wanted to really do a deep dive on some BD efforts. But to your point, they didn't want that one-on-one because it's expensive. It takes a lot of time. And to they really said, you know what, we've got a good thing going. We just want to find new ways to build accountability and engagement and um, really help to push what is already happening in our firm. And we think this technology can help us get there. And it's been fun to watch the technology take the take center stage and then we consult in the background. You know, how are things going? How can we help you, you know, think of what's the next phase for the attorneys using the system? What are they doing well? What are they not doing? And then also kind of speaking to what you asked earlier, what are the things that are barriers to them continuing to grow in the system and how can we enhance what we're, what we've currently built to keep them engaged and motivated and moving forward. More features to come in the future, right? Like I can imagine practice management tools and stuff like that, that feed off of it, Heather, or is it more, um, no, we're perfectly comfortable in the, in the, in the BD space and the coaching space. Um, and we're going to execute on this for the next couple of years. Uh, no, far more to come. We, uh, you know, as, as you well know, any entrepreneur, you're constantly seeing what else is out there. You're constantly excited about what could be. Um, one of the things that, that we are excited about, and we've gotten asked this many a time, we started, um, with sort of the attorneys and the marketing and business development side, because that's the world worlds that we've played in. That's where we've lived. But there are far more departments within law firms that need um, and want to be able to tell their story through data and tracking and understanding what it is that they're doing. And so as we're talking to firms, they're saying, but what about um, you know our pricing team or perhaps our HR or any of these other groups within the departments within the firm that want to be able to to interact and talk with one another. And so we anticipate that that's going to be part of what we do. Um, Sort of in addition to that, the integration piece. So really finding the partners that 
we can, uh, the, the information that's flowing into our systems can help to make those systems stronger or vice versa. And so really finding those, those partners that we can integrate with to just make the tool stronger for the folks that are using it. And, imp- uh, and improve and extend the reach of the software too, right? Which is um, also always great because that theoretically means you're growing the company at the same time, right? Which is awesome, which is the intent of business. Yeah, eventually we'd love to break out to other professional services firms too. Um, But again, we grew up in the legal industry. So we started here and we've been able to build a business over the past eight and a half years focused here. But, you know, talking about the the financial side of the world, that that professional side or accounting or any others. Um, although, and I won't use your word cheap, although you may be frugal when it comes to paying for what folks do, perhaps we can offer some value yeah. to your, your company and others um, where they would see the need for our services. You're kind. We can use cost conscious people, <laughs> right? Is that a good term to use? That's a, That's a good term. You should yeah. be cost, cost conscious. Yeah. So no, I agree. Um, so female founded team. Correct. All, all females too on the Currently. team? Currently um, only. Uh, that's for whatever reason, um, we are currently all female and, and we're enjoying that. I would imagine so, right? There's <laughs> no male jerks in the room. Um, so how does that how does that allow y'all to run the company, right? So versus in the 1960s, it would have been an all-male team, right? Um, or gosh knows, um, in the 1980s, it would probably have been an all-male team too, right? So how do y'all get to do it differently? And how do y'all see it differently as a female founding team um, and then a female-only team? So it's interesting. It, it's interesting that you say that because I don't, I don't know, and I won't speak for Jill, but I don't know that I've ever thought about this being different. Given that um, I'm a female running a company, my mom started a company with a friend of hers years ago, so she sort of helped to blaze this particular trail, you know, years and years ago, um, and grew up a very successful business that she sold, and. Um, So I've never thought that I should look at this any differently, but I will say, um, considering the industry that we're in, which is very male dominated, um, the legal industry just happens to be, you know, highly, at least in the, at least in the partnership ranks. Um, we do often hear phrases like, oh, let's ask the girls, um, speaking of, uh, me and Jill and and what we're we're doing, you know, someone a managing partner will say, well, I'll turn it over to the girls. And I've just had to let that go because I don't think the intent behind it is to belittle who we are, or the value that we bring to the equation. I think it's just sort of societal that, you know, two women who are sitting there and are younger than perhaps the the group that's sitting in the room, you know, perhaps we are seen as that. And so I've I, I guess along the way, it it hasn't occurred to me that we're having to do anything a little bit differently. Um, but I will say, as far as our team goes, I think we do approach it from the mindset that one, we all have other things going on in our worlds. You know, our work is important, but it's not the top priority. We all have families. We all have 
uh, things that that need our attention. And so um, I think we are quick to step in if someone says, I need to deal with X and X is not related to the workday. Um, we're quick to step in and say, we've got this, you go take care of that. And, and we're, you know, we're happy to, you know, make whatever accommodations need to happen. And I think we're a little more aware of that, given that, and I won't say that men aren't aware of it, but perhaps because we're, we're a whole female that we sort of have a, a stronger bond in that area that we know that there are going to be days when people need to focus on, on other commitments that are outside of the particular, the particular yeah. work day. Yeah. No, I mean, it's interesting, right? Like um, the, the have to phrase that you used uh, um, is like have to run the business separate, different. Like, um, like I don't see, like you have the luxury of it's not a have to, right? Like it's your business. You can run it how you want to. So now you do have to pay attention to the end customer, right? You can't run it completely how you want to, cause you are trying to satisfy those as well. But um said so the freedom right like i mean i look at it in the other direction like you have the freedom to develop the business and treat your employees the way that you want to are y'all a remote workforce is everybody across the country or do y'all have is everybody here in charlotte or how do y'all structure it that way we are 100 remote um we have three people in north carolina one in south carolina um we have folks in texas california colorado Indiana, I'm blanking. Um, now that you've asked <laughs> where folks are, and then we have one person who's overseas, but that's because her husband is um, stationed okay. overseas currently. Do y'all come together once a year? Or do y'all do, um, how do y'all handle like employee engagement, right? Like, so if you're fully remote as y'all grow out this firm and you are diving through technology, like how do y'all um, like hone the technology as a group and form that bond and do the things that you need to from a cultural perspective? So really, really three ways. One is we get together twice a year. So in person, twice a year, we do a retreat somewhere. Um, you bring them to Charlotte in the middle of July for the heat and humidity or you go somewhere else? <laughs> we go to the middle of Texas in mid-July okay. when it's 110. Okay. Um, <laughs> Man, maybe yeah, you so should have somebody else plan your trips. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we, we try to find a, a location that is... Uh, you know, that's easy-ish for folks to get to just knowing that they're coming from multiple places. Oh, I, I forgot Florida. And so we we come together at least twice a year in person. Um, the second thing is we have Monday huddles. So we get together um, on Mondays and we share, you know, here's what's going on for my week. Here's who I need to connect with, you know, outside of this conversation in order to talk about a particular client or something that we're working on. One fun thing that has come out of that meeting is we always share what the the sort of national day is on that Monday. So you know how there's always a national day for something. And one person on our team is a tremendous baker, cook. I mean, I, she can just pretty much whip up anything. So if you tell her it's national key lime um, trifle day, by that afternoon, she's and she, by the way, she lives outside of Austin, Texas and in a more rural area. She has everything in her pantry, I promise you. And she will have whipped up this key lime trifle and sent us a picture. And so it's been it's been really fun to see how our team comes together over something like that. And then the third thing is we all attend conferences related to this to the legal industry. And so typically it's more than one of us. So 
we'll have interactions at those as well. So coming this fall, we will be all over the country attending different legal related conferences. And like I said, there'll be one or two of us or two or more of us at each of those. No, that makes a lot. I've forgotten all about the conference world, right? That's that world shut down for two years and it's really only kind of starting. I mean, I guess it's probably been up and running for two years now um, since that point in time too. Right. Really um, the past year, you know, seeing that people, that people in force are back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I bet on those um, national bake days that that's when you wish you were all in the same location and she'd gone to the back and cooked it all up for all of you, right? Always. We're we're constantly looking at a picture and saying, can you ship this? Because yeah. it, it looks amazing. We'll give you the corporate credit card on National Bakery <laughs> Day and you can ship each one of us a sample that we'll have in the next day. That's right. When we think about startups, we think about two different types, right? The types that can build it profitably, scale it internally, and grow it that way. And we think about the which um, most startups right now want to be that because raising capital has been pretty dang tough out there, right? And then the other side of it is in order to build, scale, grab market share, grab users, whatever it ends up being, we either already have or we're going to need to raise capital in order to reach the velocity that we want to get to. Um, what what side of that do you sit on either now or into the future, right? Do you have to raise capital or can y'all grow this profitably enough where you can continue to fund it internally as you go? So as we as we sit here right now, we are... we. Uh, always been internally funded. Everything we've done, we have bootstrapped or, you know, figured out how to make it happen. Um, looking into the future for our technology, we do think that we're going to need to raise some sort of capital in order for us to get to that next step, to be able to continue to build out um, the system in ways that will help us to scale and help us to reach new markets and new individuals to put on the platform. So that is to come. Um, again, that's a new world for us because we've, like I said, we've we've done it all ourselves and and that feels good and right, you know, in in what we're doing. But we know that there's there is going to come a day that we're going to need to to look outside of our company and say, all right, who else, who else wants to join us and be a part of What's next? So uh, it probably shows that I'm a, a male asking this question. So, um, but I'll go down the road anyways. You know, you think about, and you've, we've read so much about it in the unfortunate aspect that so much of the venture capital money these days goes to, you know, male founders. Um, and there's not as much venture capital that's flowing to really strong female founders. The flip side is, is, Y'all've kind of gotten this. You're beyond like, hey, we need the first capital, right? Like, we need the first dollar. Y'all, um, y'all've gotten it past that point where you would certainly think it would be a lot easier for y'all because you've showed traction, you've showed, um, you know, beyond the first client, you've showed that you can execute, you've showed that you can pivot, you've showed that you can roll out new products. Like, how do you do you approach it as I don't care? We're two successful entrepreneurs and we're gonna raise capital because that's what successful entrepreneurs do, or do you have that a little bit of like hesitation that, like, oh gosh, we're going into the stupid male dominated world? Do we, you know, how are we gonna handle that? 
I, I think it's probably the latter, but because we've been in a male dominated world for so long, I don't know that that's the scary part. I think yeah. it's, um, and just being completely authentic and, and frank in this discussion, I think it's, it's so, it's such a different world than we've been in, right? It's, it's not necessarily the people that we would have to get in front of and have these conversations. It's more about what are those conversations and how do we, how do we set the stage so that our company looks as attractive or more attractive than someone else that's also looking for funding? How do we stand apart? How do we, you know, really get someone to understand what it is that we do? And so I, I think that's the part where, um, and this is this is probably a little bit into the brains of, you know, a female. It's we have a little harder time, fake it till you make it. Um, that just, I mean, that's shown out in, in all kinds of studies. So I think it's, how do, how do we have that bravado in order to, to have, have us look, um, have the company look attractive to someone that's looking to invest, um, and speak the language of, of the technology world. You know, the more I'm in it, the more I realize what I don't know. And so, um, it's almost like I'm having to go back to school and, and learn, uh, how to do this all over again. Uh, sorry, I'm thinking about your your dog. When you say school, I'm thinking about your your bulldog howl at the end of the podcast. <laughs> so um no, I mean it's you know it's an unfortunate aspect. Um and hopefully and it seems like the world's changing, right? It seems like we're trying to the world, the US at least venture capital space is trying to be more intentional about not just funding male founded companies. It goes back and it says, and it shouldn't be this way, but you do have a leg up too, I would think, right? Like you've got a eight-year track record at this point in time. Um, you started off at a service business, um, but you've now got the technology. You've rolled that out. You've showed that you can roll that out. Effectively. Like you you feel like you've stacked up enough of those wins. It's like, well, how many, you know, I don't need to have 400 wins. I'll just take my five and go, and not that you only have five wins, but mm -hmm. like I have enough wins for, you know, to validate in any way, shape or form, doesn't matter um, if I'm from Mars. Right. And then you add on the additional complexity of it's just harder to raise money right now. Right. Although again, y'all are further enough along in that stage, you would think that it would be easier for y'all to, to kind of break down that door a little bit. Um, Advice you have, William, we will take it. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. Founded an awesome company. You've rolled out great technology. Um, and and everything else but you you also you have the personal side too right like you have two kids you've got a um a senior and a freshman that's um, correct my daughter is a senior in high school my son is a freshman in high school just started this week so out of curiosity is she going to georgia <laughs> i think my husband and i wish uh okay. we'll see we'll see that's the to be determined as long as she doesn't go to the school up in chapel hill we'll uh we'll publish this podcast right <laughs> Um, I, my, my fear is the one down in Florida, not so much Chapel Hill. Okay. All right. So, um, how do they see mom? Right. So mom, the founder, right? Like how to, um, uh, how does, uh, um, how does that help and benefit your kids? It's interesting that you ask that because I think it has only come into their consciousness in the past, maybe handful of years that mom runs a business um, she doesn't just stand behind a computer and talk to people on the screen all day that there is there is something behind the thing that she's doing. Um, because my my husband, just side note, is in um 
real estate development here in Charlotte. So there's, it's very physical. You can see the things that he's doing and building. And um, mine is not quite uh, as visible, although I think more and more as the kids Google um, what is happening with Society 54 or my name or see Jill doing something or one of the other folks on our team, um, the more that they'll mention it around the dinner table, you know, hey, mom, I saw that, you know, you guys wrote this article and it was out on social media. Sometimes it's embarrassing to them and sometimes it's cool. Um, but I hope that down the road, they appreciate the the sacrifices that have been made, the, you know, blood, sweat and tears that goes into building a company, the hours, the travel, all of those things. Um, I, I think I think it will make them appreciate and also uh, appreciate the what has been done, but also I think it'll make them stronger in their careers and what they're looking to do um, down the road because they've seen um, they've seen how hard it is, but also you know the the rewards that come along with with being an entrepreneur. Yeah. So, mom, is she still around? Mama. Yeah. She is. Yeah, she's. Uh, she and my dad are retired now in Rome, Georgia. I hear you. So um, cool to sit back and be able to talk with your mom about entrepreneur successes and challenges. So interestingly, um, I think I was much like my kids. I didn't appreciate the blood, sweat and tears that went into her building her business and the the time that that went into creating something amazing that she did create. And now I have, as an adult, realized this and, and reached out to her on so many occasions and just said, you're one of the strongest people I've ever known. Um, what you built was amazing. And, and you sort of paved the way for me to feel like I could do it too. Cause it's, it's terrifying to step out of corporate America and not have that regular paycheck and, you know, the benefits and all the things that go along with it. It's a terrifying step, but you know, I, I had a little bit of a head start because I saw somebody else do it and, and be successful at it. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so now we're going to go to the bio on your website and I'm asking you a question, right? So we're going to draw a parallel. Um, you in your bio on your website, you state that you have been to all continental states in a van or a camper. That is, is that correct. A, that is a correct statement. Okay. My dad what? was a school principal and had summers off. So we just took off. And we'd go and travel. All right. So what is the similarity between running a startup and going to all 48 states in a van or a camper? Uh, let's see. You have to be uncomfortable, right? I mean, there might be long stretches where nothing's happening and you just got to, you know, hold on because something good's going to be around that next corner. Um, so I think that might be one parallel. And then... Also, I think it's the the goal setting, right? My parents wanted to see the country. And so they set that goal and and we did it. And just side note, I have now been to Seattle and Washington, so I can check off all continental states in the U.S. Just those weren't by van and camper. I hear you. So um, good deal. All right. Well, that's awesome. So, I mean, I think, you know, again, y'all, y'all build an awesome business. You've done it um, in different intervals, right? Like learning to build the software and then building it again and then re redoing it. Um, you've got an awesome team. You've got a wonderful website. Um, so I think we've covered some, some great ground here, but as we wrap up, 
Um, we've got to hold true to our audience. We've got to deliver on our own promises here, Heather. Um, so we're now at the moment in time where you have to give us your Georgia Bulldog bark as we sign off for, for the podcast today. Um, okay, William, you be ready. You better be ready for this. This has been a lot of fun. Okay. Go down, <laughs> oh man that's awesome i love it well good luck to the bulldogs this year um and good luck to you and jill as y'all continue to build out a fantastic business so thanks for spending some time with us today heather really enjoyed it thank you so much appreciate it William Bissett is the owner of and an investment advisor representative of Portis Wealth Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Portis Wealth Advisors. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Portis Wealth Advisors does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interest may be offered only to persons who qualified as accredited investors under applicable state and federal regulation or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interest. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in the market conditions and interest rates and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.